Everyone, welcome to the Mogabar Show. With me today, I have Miles Shades. Miles is a young man. Um, and when I say young, I'm speaking younger than myself, who's in my who I'm in my 40s. But he is a young man who is extremely interesting. Just wrote a book that came out, Boardwalk Republic. And he is from Jersey, New Jersey, right outside of Atlantic City. And Miles, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, please? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on, Gabe. Uh, yeah, my name is Miles. I'm the author of Boardwalk Republic. So this is a, a novella, um, but also a bigger project about the future of Atlantic City and the cruise industry. I think that's actually very interesting. I grew up in the 80s when Atlantic City to me meant Donald Trump and Mike Tyson fights. So that's what I remember from Atlantic City. I, I did go to Atlantic City in the 90s. Um, and you know, I did go kart racing or whatever on the boardwalk. And what is it about Atlantic City? I mean, aside that you're, you know, it's pretty close to you. You're a local. We can call you a local. Um, What is it about it that made that your focus that you sort of want to help rebuild it or rebuild its image in a a way? Like, what about that? Yeah, yeah. So Atlantic City is, uh, it's iconic. And a lot of people recognize it like yourself from the casino empire that came in in the, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, but it has a whole lot of history before that. I mean, you look at the Jazz Age, you look at Prohibition era, like Boardwalk Empire, um, 1920s, and you look at the aesthetic and you look at the culture, um, it was world-renowned. So it was built as the world's playgrounds. Uh, so a lot of people you know, know, know it recently um, as being like a Philadelphia or a regional resort for New Yorkers. Um, but even my experiences on cruise ships, I, I introduced myself, I'm from Atlantic City, and it has that world reputation that people are like, oh, yeah, I know what that place is about. It's the first boardwalk. Um, so it's this, this divide between what it was, what it is now, and then what it could be in the future. Um, and I just think there's not really a whole other place in the world or a city in the United States that has as much potential uh, as Atlantic City. What have you seen? Because obviously, you know, I'm not going to call it depression, but it's sort of, you know, 2008 hit like a a wrecking ball and it destroyed a lot. And then with casinos leaving, filing for bankruptcy, et cetera, corruption, there's been so many changes happening in Atlantic City. What's it like now? And what do you what's been the reception? Like when you talk to people about potentially coming back and like rebuilding Atlantic City and making it once again sort of, you know, a place where people want to go and vacation to or take a weekend to, what's the reception? What's the what do they say to you? Yeah, so it, it depends on who your audience is, right? So as a mm-hmm. local, you know, South Jersey resident and born and raised, I grew up in Ocean City, which is about ten miles south. It's more of a family friendly resort town. Uh, Their high school is amazing. It's right on the beach. Um, And it has more of like a Southern California feel to it. Um, But if you bring up Atlantic City to a local, they're like, why would you want to go there? And they're kind of jaded by it. And they're like, we have Cape May, you know, we have Ocean City, we have New York, if you want to go see a Broadway show, um, why? And then you bring up that same conversation to someone who's not from here, um, or they're from New York, or they're from Europe, and they're like, yeah, i check out Atlantic City, absolutely. Um, so it really depends. And, and you're right in saying that a lot of uh, the momentum has been negative over the years. Uh, but even this summer with 
kind of people working more remotely. Um, you look at a lot of main acts in New York who, who want to come down and perform, whether it's like a dueling piano show at Hard Rock, uh, or if you have a couple of comedians that come in and headline for Ocean or other venues. Uh, it really could be like the equivalent of Vegas for entertainment um, to L.A. So if you look at like the distance between L.A. and Vegas and the distance between New York and Atlantic City, why isn't this place the entertainment capital of the East Coast? I mean, you look at all these empty resorts. Um, you could repurpose them into movie studios or production studios. You can audition performers. Um, and, hey, maybe you can bring a cruise ship there. Uh, so that's kind of the vision. Okay. So, going to segue quickly because you just, you know, you finished with cruise ship, bringing a cruise ship there, your book, right. Boardwalk Republic. Right. Um, you wrote it from the perspective, you wrote it during the pandemic, if I'm not mistaken, and you wrote it from the perspective of, you know, you've spent the last several years on a cruise ship. You know, you've yeah. visited, I think, somewhere like over 40 countries in the last five years, give or take. We're going to get on that to that in a second. But the book, Boardwalk Republic, um, it is you do have it does have a cruise ship theme, uh, more or less. But it is a fantasy. It's not a, you know, it, it's not an auto, a, a biography of your life. But. What exactly did you hope to accomplish with this book? Because you are bringing sort of a fantasy feel to this book and to the area. So what were what were you hoping to accomplish and what has been the reception of the book? Yeah, so with the with the novella, right? So I was I was stranded on a cruise ship. We can get to this later, but I was stranded on a cruise ship for almost 2 months in March 2020. Um all of us thought it would be 2 or 3 weeks and uh I had this idea what am I going to do? Uh, am I going to go back and wait out the rest of the, the pandemic? Or am I going to stay on the ship? Um, and I had this, this kind of motivation to write uh, a story. Like I am a writer by trade, even throughout growing up in undergrad. And um, it, it's not so much fantasy as it is magical realism. So there's a difference there in that if you think of fantasy, you think of like Harry Potter, or you think of something that's so far-fetched that none of it would ever happen. Um, magical realism is similar to like surrealism and painting in that you're taking the real world and you're introducing like magical elements into the mundane. So in the case of my book, you have the protagonist and the cast of characters who start out in Atlantic City today in the present. And they look around and they're like, why is this place such a shithole? Sorry if I said that, but why is this place so decrepit? And then you're like, why not... Um, introduce something magical, right? So what could this place become? So it, it, it becomes a, a thought leadership exercise, right? So you're, you're thinking and you're visualizing as a reader, um, can I see myself embarking a ship in Atlantic City? What would that look like? How would I feel once I step foot on the gangway? And then now you're opened up to an entire literally new world of experiences. So that was the the motivation behind the book is to serve as a, a thought leadership exercise for the readers. Um, and it's very much similar to if you look at Animal Farm, you look at any George Orwell, you look at Paulo Coelho's The Alchemist, um, in that it, it couldn't happen in real life. But there are parts of it that span themes that are current events. So it's kind of a political satire, and it's also like an adventure fantasy story. So in a way... You know, you are forcing the reader to think or imagine what could be the potentials, the, you know, 
the possibilities of what could be, you know, what was, what could still be. Um, so I think that's very creative and I think that's, that's actually very unique take on certain things. That's very, very well done in my opinion. Um, cruise ship for over 40 countries. What was your favorite country that you visited? Yeah. And why? uh, (laughs) So I get this question a lot on our ships with passengers. It's like, where's the, where's your favorite place? You know, what's your favorite thing to do? Um, the more that you travel, especially in this way, uh, I essentially lived on a cruise ship. It was a floating city. Um, the countries start to blur. You don't really think of places as this is, um, you know, the Bahamas or this is St. John or, or this mm-hmm. is, uh, the United States, right? You think of it as a region. You know, like what region do you relate to the most? Is it the Caribbean? Is it Europe? You know, and then we start to dissect it by the seas. Is it the Baltic Sea? Is it the Caribbean Sea? So uh, it depends on really the time of year. So our ships would follow the seasons. So we would start in the winter in the Caribbean uh, or South America because the seasons are flipped. And then in the summer, uh, we would kind of reposition to Alaska, uh, Northern Europe, et cetera, more of the you know, Icelandic itineraries. Um, but a few regions definitely relate to me the most, and this is what our passengers experience as well. Um, you, you, places kind of have a way of drawing you in or pushing you out. Um, and when you travel, you start to relate to these places in different ways. So um, as a writer, and I also run a lot, so I'm very um, thoughtful and reflective, and I like nature. Uh, that's my place to recharge. So I would say that Patagonia, that region of the nice. world. Yeah, I relate to that the most in that it has uh, the culture of Buenos Aires, you know, Argentina, but it also has the nature of Ushuaia, um, and then you have the Tierra del Fuego, and then you have the Magellan Strait and the fjords of Chile, uh, and then we were down in Antarctica for four or five days. So um, when you do That's travel, amazing. like, yeah, like, Gabe, ask yourself, like, what place have you been to that you relate to the most? Uh, and that's yeah. kind of where you need to explore yourself. But everyone's different. Yeah, of course. No, that's awesome, actually. That that's that sounds great. I'm like pr- going to rewatch this and like make an itinerary <laughs> of places I want to go to now. Well, I'll, like, take, I'll, I'll make you a custom itinerary. Yeah, we'll, we'll do awesome. that afterwards. <laughs> no, that's um, your role on the cruise ships. You were, if I remember correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you were a, a Microsoft ambassador um, to experience experiences in my, I don't remember exactly, but that was sort of, cause I've never actually heard that before. Um, yeah. What is the, that? Right. The, the role, it was extremely unique. Um, and the formal title is the Microsoft studio host, but okay. I, the title, the Microsoft ambassador, you're the sole brand ambassador for the brand on board. You're one person. So a head office in Seattle gives you keys to a a studio, which is essentially a a classroom and a theater. It is the perfect blend between education and entertainment. So you are a TED Talk speaker, you are a professor, uh, you are a computer geek. Like those three things, (laughs) perfect blend. Um, So in the studio, right, Microsoft had this idea a a while ago. to fund a program where passengers can take these immersive excursions in different parts of the world. Um, and a lot of tourists have a habit of, of getting trigger happy with their cameras, right? Or their phones. So if you're in a new place, you're like, oh my God, I gotta, 
I got to catch that, or I'm going to miss this whale that's jumping out of the ocean, or this, my bus tour is going to be terrible if I don't document it. And they would come back and they would talk to me and they'd say, Miles, I had this great experience in Jamaica and I, I rode a camel and here's a picture of the camel. And, and the photo was the worst, like diagonal back inside of the camel. And I'm like, at what point is this photo impacting your story that you're telling me and what it means to you? You know, and it could be personal in that you're going to look at this photo and you're going to reflect on it later and say, hey, this was my amazing trip to Jamaica. I have a picture of a camel's ass, basically. <laughs> but, you know, as an audience member, you're like, okay, I understand the essence of why this was so important to you. But the way that you're communicating it could need some work, right? Um, so, so my role was essentially, uh, yeah, half education, half entertainment. And you're crafting these immersive narratives so that your passengers can share that with their audiences, right? So if you wanted to come on and you wanted new content for your show and you wanted to go to, we're going to do an itinerary plan after this. You're going to go to South America and we're going to put you on a ship to Antarctica and I'm going to give you the best GoPro and you're going to mount it to your head. And then you're going to have a time lapse of your entire trip. (laughs) So you don't have to think about it. And then afterwards you can come see me and say, Miles, you know, stitch this together, make a narrative so I can share it to my, uh, my community. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. Um, you were stuck on, you were stuck there for two months at the start of the pandemic. Did you go crazy? I mean, you're used to being on a cruise ship, so no, you're not really going crazy, but you have no idea what's going on. It was like, I think we all had the same information. It's going to be a couple of weeks. It's going to be a couple of days. It's going to be a, maybe a month. Um, and then just spread out, spread out. And the cruise ship industry was absolutely decimated. What was that experience like? Um, were, did you start writing the book prior to the pandemic or did you start it because of the pandemic, like during the pandemic? Yeah. And um, so I was one of the lucky ones, honestly. We were, we were floating off the coast of Grand Bahama at this large anchorage of about 12 to 15 uh, cruise ships. And I was one of four Americans or five Americans that were still on board because I was part of the entertainment team. Um, and most of, you know, most of my friends and colleagues and shipboard you know, family are from different multinational countries. So you're looking around and you know, having a background in, in government and you know, interning in Congress and knowing a lot about international relations, I said, this is, a, this is a humanitarian issue. We need to get on the phone with the State Department, the Coast Guard, you know, any interstate commerce and international affairs agency, right? Um, just to say, like, hey, can we get these people off and fly them back to their home countries because this is an issue? We're not members of the military. You know, we're not stationed here. This is a humanitarian issue. Um, so with that kind of on my back saying like, I should do something about this, you know, this is not right. Uh, you you look at the way it was handled, you know, as a company and there's really not much we could have done because we were relying on, you know, local state and federal directives. You know, we were all saying, this will be two weeks, this will be three weeks, we'll be off, we'll be back cruising in the Baltic. Um, none of that happens. (laughs) So, um, So I was able to fly back from Fort Lauderdale to Atlantic City. Uh, They gave me the option. They said, you know, you can come back when all this is over. Uh, We don't know when that's going to be. And uh, at the time, I was actually, uh, I was kind of dating a girl from England who was on another ship um, that we could see each other. We were were waving to each other across nine nautical miles of ocean. 
And uh, I was talking to the captain and I was like, is there a way we can, you know, can I take a lifeboat down? Can we bring over her on a lifeboat? It was a mess. So trying to like reassure not only your yourself and your immediate crew family, but your friends and coworkers and colleagues on literally yeah. the international like cruise ships around you saying it's all going to be okay. <laughs> it's a bit of a, yeah. an exercise in, you know, how much have I learned in my life and how can I use this uh, to help in the situation? Um, yeah. And that was difficult, but going back to, to writing the book, it really, the, the concept for the project started as a senior at Georgetown. So it was back in 2015 uh, my thesis was on the future of Atlantic City, and uh, I, I kind of fell into the whole cruise ship uh, world, which we can talk about. But so that the inception of the idea was there, and then I was I was kind of floating backstage on our ship, uh, and I had access to all the the audio visuals and, and the stage, and I thought I need to like make a talk, like a TED talk, or share this story somehow. And, and the only thing I could think of at the time was, you know, I'm a decent writer. Let's explore that first, right? Um, so I, I remember drafting it in my, my word document, you know, uh, backstage, like two weeks into this pandemic, like this has to be told. Even if I go down with the ship, this story has to be told. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, so r- real quick, just to jump back and forth, y- y- your girlfriend, I mean, you're in pretty good shape. You were a track, at, you know, you were a track athlete at Georgetown. You didn't think to just jump in the ward and just swim across to the other ship at all? or Oh, that, the thought crossed my mind a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Now that, well, that's, um, you know, that's a pretty rewarding aspect of the lifestyle, right? Because if you, yeah. one of the most um, enriching and fulfilling experiences you can have on the ship is the, actually the traditional aspect of it. Because you think this is such an exotic lifestyle, you're not even mm-hmm. you're living in a Disney park. You know, it's this is such a, a fake world. Um, but some of the most you know uh, reflective experiences I've had have been you know dating beautiful, great women and um, and having more of a domestic lifestyle, like walking dogs around a ship or you know going to the grocery store. <laughs> so uh, I, I, that should not be overlooked. Yeah. No, Pretty cool, actually. I, I didn't know you yeah. could actually walk dogs on cruise ships. I, yeah. I didn't know that was a thing, but it's nice it's to know. normally the exception. But yeah. <laughs> okay. What's um, what's next for you? I, I think you know. I was talking to you earlier, and I said that you know, reading about you, I felt very like I was reading about a politician in the making. You interned in Congress. Um, you went to Georgetown, in, which was in D.C. For those that don't know. Um, do you have political aspirations? Do you want, you know, I feel like you're starting locally already just by trying to make Atlantic City better or trying to make it what it once was, but in a better way, less corrupt way. Um, What does the future hold for Miles? Yeah. um, Well, any student of of government, right? Um, Anyone with an aspiration for politics, you don't really approach it by saying, I want to build a career in politics. Um, you approach it by a worldview that is shaped by a lot of uh, foundational elements. Like you look at um, Plato and Socrates and you look at ancient Greece and you look at the the main figures and the orators of that time, like Cicero. Um, and that's kind of would be a whole idea behind the name Boardwalk Republic as opposed to the empire, right? So that's a political theory development. This is the future of Atlantic City. It's not the past. The past was the empire. The future is the republic. 
Um, but it, that word republic really means just a quilt of self-governing people, right? So there's, especially now, especially today, um, we have a lot of politicians uh, who treat politics as entertainment, right? You pick, you pick a side. Um, are you Democrat? Are you Republican? It's like, are you a fan of the Eagles or the Steelers? Like you pick a side, right? And, and that's really not the way we were taught um, to think about politics. So I have thought about running for Congress in my life. Um, it would have to be a time where I'm, I'm ready and I can understand all of the issues and effectively represent uh, the district. So if you look at the district of South Jersey, it's about the bottom third of the state. And there's one representative for that bottom third of New Jersey. And you got to ask yourself, like, how are these district proportions? You know, are they gerrymandered? There's so many terms in politics that if you look them up in a textbook, you're like, there is a term called log rolling and pork barrel voting. And you're like, who thinks of the terms for this stuff? And then you actually have the, um, the experience of working in Congress and you, you understand that, you know, the House is essentially a collection of representatives based on population. And their role is to essentially echo the needs of their communities and their constituents um, to the best of their ability. So in one way, yeah, they are entertainers in that they're the face and voice of their constituents. And in the other way, they have to have the moral compass to say, I'm going to leverage all of my knowledge that I've spent uh, or spent time gaining through the years to, to better this area. So anyone who's ready to run for Congress has to really reflect and say, Am I the best person for the job right now? Can I effectively represent all of the people in the census? And it's boring, but you go through the census and you're like, yeah, okay, of these people, this demographic, especially the younger generation, is not well represented in Congress. There needs to be younger people in Congress. But you say, yeah, based on this category of people and this time and this political climate, yeah, I should run. That's kind of the thought process. So whoever is congressman or congresswoman, should have that checklist before they say, yeah, I'm going to try. Okay. If, if you were going to run today, what would your platform be? What would, what would, if you were going to run for Congress, what would, what would you put out there as, like you said, the entertainer side, what would be your slogan? <laughs> My slogan? Um, probably, well, if you look at the scope of Congress, uniting a, a divided America, uniting a divided America. And I would run independent. I'm an independent. I'm not affiliated with a political party. Um, and you would probably see me on TV and print news maybe once. And then I would get busy working. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. That's the way it should be. Get to work. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, what, where do you go from here? The book is out. Pandemic, I'm not going to say it's over, but it's it ebbs and flows. Um, where, where are you going from now? Obviously, um, political aspirations aside, that's not, that's in the future. Maybe who knows how, how long, whether two, five years, we don't know what's next for you. Like how, what is it that you want to accomplish next within the next year? Yeah. Um, well, if you look at the next year, um, I'd really like to come back, uh, to see, uh, as a cruise director. I feel like that, that is a great position. You're essentially the mayor of the ship. Um, you are the perfect blend, and I'm quoting a friend here, of Siri, 
and that you have to learn everything and know everything about the ship. Uh, Mickey Mouse, in that you have to, you know, you're the face of the experience. And Oprah, in that you're like a public figure. So if you can nail all three of those, um, you're going to be the best cruise director at sea. So I'd like to, I'd like to come back. I feel like I still have a lot to offer and to give uh, a lot of different cruise lines um, and yeah. the guests. And, and the second thing I'd like to do is work on um, the thought leadership of bringing ships to Atlantic City. I think that that's a huge catalyst for change in the area. Um, if you structured it appropriately, uh, it would be a federally funded port, and that's congressional earmarking with the infrastructure bill. So I'm not sure how close you've been following this, but um, yeah, Congress has set to pass an infrastructure bill, and we can you know set aside some funding mm-hmm. to build you know, nothing too elaborate, but uh, a start. And then if you you know structure it with mooring fees and taxes, you can funnel a lot of that revenue back into the city of Atlantic City, and then up through the uh, the district and the state. Um, so I'd really like to do those two things, come back as a cruise director and then work on the port in Atlantic City. Uh, and then also teach. You know, I really like to teach. I, I'd like to give back to my, I'm certified in high school social studies. So I'd, I'd like oh, to nice. be a, a guest speaker. And um, I feel like our, our country needs a lot of great teachers now more than ever. Um, so I'd like to, to do my part there. Nice. Excellent. Um, Miles, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but one final question. If you're going to die tomorrow... What is it that you want to be remembered for? What will people say, this is quintessential Miles? Uh, that's a great thought experiment. I mean, that quite, more people should think about that. I'm not saying you should wake up and say, if I die today, you know, what, what's going to happen? Um, you, you really can't control uh, your legacy in something. I think that if people go and try to seek out a legacy, then you run into problems. Um, a better way to structure this and think through this is uh, if you're standing over your grave, it's pretty morbid, but if you're standing over your grave and you look back on your life and you, and you say, was there any areas where I missed an opportunity? Um, is there something I should have done differently? And for me, uh, there's a lot of things I'd like to do before I die. But the number one thing I'd like to do is I'd like to come into the port of Atlantic City on the bow of a ship hanging on to the flagpole and at night and seeing like, yeah, I had a role in helping this happen. And you see like the skyline and it's, it's a very romantic, like Titanic esque moment, but anyone who's worked on ships knows that um, the bow at like midnight where you can see all the stars and the skylines of where you are is like the most tranquil uh, experience you can have. So yeah, that's, that's it. The port of Atlantic city. Going to book a cruise, and I'm hoping that they allow me on the bow because I want to see this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we have to give you the ship tour. No, that's excellent, Miles. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really grateful. One last thing: where can people find you? Read about Boardwalk Republic. Read more about what you're doing for Atlantic City and South Jersey in all. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you can post it in the comments down below. Yeah, but, of course. Um, boardwalkrepublic.com that's usually the main page where you can go on linkedin or instagram or you know all the social channels uh right now it's just it's taking the book from thought experiment to reality so if you want to get involved you know you can send out a form and say we'll see where we can we can put you where you'll make the most impact nice excellent miles thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it yeah thanks gabe appreciate it